Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Roto-World Football Podcast. Some continue to call it, even during these weeks in May, the most important podcast in the universe. My name is Josh Norris, and my friends, we have another one of our buddies here. Raymond Summerlin joins us this week after having last week off. Ray, how's life? How are you? You know, living the dream. Happy I get to see your beautiful face. Of course. On camera for those people who maybe are listening to the audio version of this. Let, let you know there there are some video clips out there, and I'm, I'm staring into Josh's wonderful eyes, and <laughs> it couldn't be better. Ray, I want to kick this off this way because I know that all of our minds during this time of year are a bit clouded. And for the football conversation we're about to get into, I want your mind to be totally clear. So Fair. I want you to get something off your chest. Just tell me your biggest gripe of Game of Thrones right now so we can get that out of the way and then we can move on. I'm not, you know, not much of a conversation here. Just the one thing that is bothering you most so we can move on with more positive vibes ahead. Well, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody who hasn't gotten to this point. But what I'll say is this will be my biggest gripe is at some point the writers decided that they wanted to write towards outcomes instead of to logical conclusions. And that is when the, everything fell apart. And I will wait for the books. Hope that <laughs> probably will never come to hopefully get the Correct. resolution that I've been waiting for for over a decade now. But we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, my, my biggest gripe is I thought they did uh, Black Widow really dirty. So that's it. We're, so, we're doing in-game too because I got some notes. No, no, that was it. No, no follow-ups here. Uh, Ray, you know, we've been talking about for months, months and months and months, and I'm so glad it's over, uh, these 254 new rookies coming in to NFL teams. And obviously when rookies come in, they really take veteran spots or open spots that are available in NFL rosters. It got me thinking, though, Ray, that just 365 days ago, we were excited about another then 256 rookies, and a lot of them in their first years ended up doing absolutely nothing in the NFL. So rather than talk about like your Dante Pettises or a lot of these other young players that did really well in the first season, I want to look at still prospects, but they're heading into their second year in the NFL. Ray, you feel good about this? Yeah, I think it's a really good idea. I, you can get these second-year players. I, I always did a column in the summer. I'll probably do it this summer again. It's called post-hype sleepers, yep. right? And it's the idea that players that we got excited about last year, and a lot of them were rookies because of the kind of good rookie class that we had last year in, a, in opposition to the rookie class that we have this year. <laughs> but we got excited about these guys, and now coming into this year – they're still in uncertain situations. We we don't know how, you know, good. I, I all NFL players are good, but relatively good they are, and, and where they're going to fit in. So 
it, it's an interesting situation for for really a lot of fantasy players and a lot of fantasy players that have really not much opposition ahead ahead of them. For so sure. it's going to be interesting to see how this works out. And like you said, these players can kind of be. Um, acquired at a discount in some situations. Yeah. And look, we're not going to talk about your Saquon Barclays. We're not going to talk about your Nick Chubbs, your Sonny Michels, even Carrion Johnson. Like, we're aiming for the players that really didn't make an impact at all. At all. So, Ray, yeah. we'll start at the running back position. Uh, we'll start with Rashad Penny, who was a first-round pick with the Seattle mm-hmm. Seahawks last year. Just to put in perspective, he had 85 carries last year, 419 yards, two touchdowns, 12 targets, nine catches, for 95 yards. Recently, Pete Carroll has said that, you know, heading into 2019, the Seattle backfield will be a one-two punch at running back with Chris Carson, who outplayed everyone in that backfield last year. So, Ray, we're going to get a split backfield here, and that's the case for basically across the NFL. But what we really care about is the 1A in that equation and not the 1B. So is it still going to be Chris Carson and not Rashad Penny, despite the draft capital spent on the second-year running back? Well, I don't think you could answer that question competently in any way at this point. I mean, you said that they, they're going to have a split backfield. Well, has any Seattle backfield gone to plan since Marshawn Lynch left? Has that happened? I don't think it has, including with Penny last year. I think at this point in time last year, we were convinced that Rashad Penny, because of that draft capital and because of the fact that there wasn't that much behind him, Chris Carson had had you know, a run, but it wasn't really that spectacular, and he was coming off an injury, as I recall. So we weren't that certain about it now. So are we certain it's going to be a split backfield? I think probably so, based on how much they want to run, the offense that they want to run. They're going to give multiple backs opportunities i will say i mean carson's probably ahead of penny on the depth chart right now they still have names behind him on the depth chart including a six-round rookie that i like travis homer who i think is Mm. a good player who could really do some stuff in the passing game if they want to get him involved there assuming that cj pro gets hurt again like what's probably going to happen so i i think that it's it's a really bad situation from that perspective but what you have to say about penny is unlike some of the other especially running backs we're going to talk about here and even the wide receivers as well When he was given an opportunity last year, he did produce. He produced like the player we thought he was going to be. He produced like an explosive running back. Um, He had 10 or more yards on 13 of his 85 attempts last year. He was really an explosive player when they got him the ball. And that makes you hopeful that if for some reason, if something happens to Carson or if Penny's just really good in the preseason during the offseason program, and he actually gets these opportunities, that he's going to produce. And so that puts him maybe a tier above some of the other running backs we're going to talk about because at least you're confident if he gets the touches yeah. that he's going to he's going to do something with them. And like I mentioned, Penny had around 400 rushing yards last year. Compare that to Chris Carson, who had over 1,100 rushing yards. But it's not like Chris Carson is the beacon of health. Right, like he yeah. missed almost his entire rookie season, and then missed at least two games uh, last year. And we know that maybe more than anyone else, maybe other than the Patriots, like Seattle's going to be one of the more run-heavy teams in the NFL. Last year they had 534 attempts, and we should mention that Mike Davis is gone. Like Mike Davis yeah. is going to be fighting for touches on his own in Chicago, and that leaves 112 carries and 42 targets. I mean, he was their best passing down back last year for Seattle. So maybe Rashad Penny can can take some of that in his second season. Uh, Let's move on to another running back in this grouping of running backs because I laid it out so conveniently. Uh, Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones is the 38th overall selection in 2018. Uh, Then Ronald Jones carried the ball 23 times for a whopping total of 44 yards and one touchdown. Nine targets on the season. Uh, He played one snap in his final game 
of the year, right? It can only go up from here for Ronald Jones, but really how much higher can it go for a player that didn't even approach expectations during his rookie season? Well, I wasn't really a fan of Jones in the pre-draft process, so I'm not going to like stand for him or anything here, especially after you mentioned just how bad he was Awful. as a rookie. He just he, he wasn't good at all as a rookie, and we didn't like him in the pre-draft, so why would we be that excited about him? But what I will say is if you're going to if you're going to say that he's definitely going to be a failure based on what happened last year, I think that point is I, I think that would be a little bit ridiculous because we don't know what he's going to be. We don't know what was happening last year. They got a new coaching staff in. Mm-hmm. It's certainly possible. There were enough smart people that liked Ronald Jones that it's certainly possible that he is actually a good player. And it's certainly possible that he's going to step into this situation. And what I will say is the Bucks. They, first of all, said that they really like what they've seen from Ronald Jones. At least the new coaching staff said that. But more importantly than that, they didn't do anything to really add to that backfield at all this offseason. I mean, he's still just stuck behind Peyton Barber. Obviously, Peyton Barber played ahead of him last year. But I I think that you look at the situation, you think, all right, they've said they like him. They didn't do anything in the draft or in free agency to suggest that they're, they're throwing him to the wayside. I think that there is still a reasonable shot that Ronald Jones is going to going to kind of ascend to the top of that depth chart. Will he be able to do anything with it there? Is he talented enough to take advantage of this opportunity? Will he just play behind Peyton Barber? We don't know. That's something we're not going to know until really deep into training camp or at least into training camp probably. But the Bucks said they like what they've seen. They didn't do anything this offseason to suggest they're lying about that. And that means that Ronald Jones is, is at least interesting. I'm not saying I'm going to go spend like a – like a seventh round pick even on him, but he's at least interesting from that from that side of it. And to your point, Jason Light said that no player has impressed new yeah. coaches more than Ronald Jones. And I kind of think he's going to say that no matter what. But Ray, like when we think about players entering the NFL, obviously we have our own evaluations, but what's equally as important is the team's evaluation of him, right? And like the 38th overall selection, that group that selected him isn't gone at all. And you mentioned it, like, it's, it's Peyton Barber, and sure, we should pour one out here for Rich Rebar because maybe they're really trying to attract him as a new fan because they brought in Kerwin Williams, Rich's favorite player of all time. They also brought in Andre Ellington, who has his fans, yeah. and an undrafted the rookie. Arizona band back together, Yes, baby. yes, and then Bruce and- Anderson's also in the roster. Like, I, I don't know. And it's, it's an offense that we should be excited about, too. So, again, taking the next step for Ronald Jones is absolutely achievable, but the next step might not even put him in relevancy. A little bit. And, and, and so it's an interesting one to watch, obviously, in the second season. Uh, Darius Geis, Ray, is next up with the Washington Redskins, the 59th overall selection. Remember that draft day slide? It feels like forever ago. Um, we really haven't seen Darius Geis at all in the NFL. We saw him in one preseason game. Then he, I believe, tore his ACL. Um, and it was an exciting preseason appearance. It was. It was. To be said. I was sitting yeah. there at my computer screen with my phone, like, trying to gif it and tweet <laughs> the clips. And, I mean, that's just what I do during the preseason. Uh, but Darius Geis, yeah, he was running over people. It was great. It was fantastic. Winning after contact. Um, but now, Ray, that surgery, I believe, was all the way back in August or September, right? He's not even certain, Jay Gruden, that Darius Geis is going to be healthy enough to start training camp. Like, there have been some complications along the way. We know the situation, right? Jay Gruden's still calling plays. You have Adrian Peterson brought back, who was brought in as Darius Geis' replacement, but he's a major tell offensively. And they go and draft Bryce Love, who is dealing with his own injuries and own hiccups along the way uh, with those surgeries. And then also, you throw in Chris Thompson, who, when healthy, is one of the best passing down backs in the NFL. So, 
it certainly makes sense, Ray, that we are a bit less excited for Darius Geis earning his second season than his first season. But if he's back to his top talent, there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you laid it out perfectly. He's taken hits this offseason. I mean, there's no way to look at it any other way with those setbacks that he suffered reportedly in his recovery, the fact that they brought back Peterson, the fact that they drafted Love in the fourth round. Although I will say, Love really feels to me like a redshirt yep. kind of player. Yep. Like he he tore his ACL in what, December? Or was it even January, early January when their the bowl, bowl game? game. Yep. Yeah, so he tore his ACL then. He's reportedly had setbacks as well. Like I think there was a report that he had quote unquote stiffness in his in his leg so in his knee that's not something you want to see so i'm not as worried about love but i am worried about peterson because i think they're kind of similar players and i worry that peterson's going to you know come in there and, and demand some of that early down work and we don't know exactly how good geis is going to be in the passing game and kind of to that point if you looked at what peterson did last year and peterson finished as the running back 16 or somewhere around that range and he had a lot of big games, and that's why he got that high. But then you go and look at some of the down games, and they were really down. They were three points. They were four points because he would just fall out of games. And wins, he would have 22 touches and losses. He had right around 12 touches, a full 10 touches fewer in losses just because he wasn't involved in the passing game. Uh, we'll see what happens with Geis. It seemed the way they were talking last year before the injury. That's kind of how they viewed him as well. So it's it's not an ideal situation, but I think that if he's healthy, mm-hmm. he is the best running back. You know, all all due respect to Adrian Peterson, obviously, and, and what he did last year was impressive. But I think that Geis is the best running back if he's healthy, and if they give him a shot, there could be some upside here. But I mean, the concerns there are a lot of concerns here with him. Not to, not even just his knee, but what's going on in that depth chart, what that offense is going to look like, how many receptions he actually can get. It's not a. It's certainly not a clean picture for guys. And if you drafted him, I had a rookie draft that doesn't happen until August, and I drafted him in the second round, hoping that I would get you know some value. And I am. I'm certainly less excited about that now than I was when I made that pick. And it's different again than Rashad Penny than Ronald Jones because at least we have some level of exposure for those two. And we yeah. just don't have any, except for that one preseason game with Darius Geis. Uh, Ray, this is always a fun oh, exercise. What a preseason game it was. <laughs> Second time. That's a callback. Um, uh, this is always a fun exercise, Ray, because it allows me to look back on the depth chart. Remember Samaj P. Ryan? That was fun. I do. That oh, was it, was a, it was a fun two months with Samaj <laughs> P. Ryan and Rob Kelly. Okay, let's go on to close out this running back position with Kalen Balage. Uh, again, second-year player, because that's what we're doing today, uh, with the Miami Dolphins. Six foot two, 237 pounds. Ray, just like from looking at it from the outside and remembering the 2018 season, it kind of felt like Kalen Balazs did a good bit in certain games. But looking back on his stats, it was just 36 carries for 191 yards and one touchdown, 11 targets, nine catches, 56 yards. Um, we know this is a different situation. No Adam Gase. No Frank Gore, but now he's in a head-to-head battle with Kenyon Drake, who is just thanking the stars that Adam Gase is gone because he's like this most hated player ever, it seemed like. But look, if we talk about feature back size, quote-unquote, Kalen Balazs certainly has it, but this is also a a pretty bad situation that all backs are in in Miami. And he had, you you mentioned his stats, he had one carry, really. He had a 75-yard touchdown, and then that was it. <laughs> like, I think he averaged, like, 3.3 yards per carry on his other, what, 35 Got carries? Got it. So he had he had a 75-yard touchdown. We all got excited. 
over the last two games they gave him a bit of an extended run out and it didn't it didn't work for him i think the if you're making a bet on balage this this year what you're making a bet on is that depth chart that's really that's really it because I mean, I, I had to at least mention Miles Gaskins and the Dynasty Rookie Rankings because he's third on that depth chart and he's pretty much locked into third because yeah. there's there's nobody else. I, I guess they have Kenneth Farrow is on that depth chart, but it's it's Drake, it's Milaj, it's Gaskins, and that's that's it at this point. And so you hope that this New England coaching staff gets in there. Are they going to use the kind of two-back situation? How do they view Milaj and Drake? Do they think Drake can be a third down or they see him as Gaze saw him as more of like a – as more of a third down back than, than a guy that can play on all three downs. So there are lots of questions there. So that's the bet you're making. But the problem, and we'll talk about another Miami guy later, the problem here is how how many points is this offense actually going to score? For like sure. their offensive line is bad. We know that Josh Rosen behind a bad offensive line is not the best situation for him. He's coming into this he's coming into this you know new coaching staff going to have to learn the new offense. It kind of basically will be a rookie again in this in this situation. Like it's if you're going to get really excited about a running back in Miami, I mean I you have to assume that this offense is going to be better than we think and I I have a tough time making that assumption. And the draft capital is different. Rashad Penny, first round. Ronald Jones, second round. Darius Guy, second round. Kalen Balaj, fourth round. And what do we always talk about, Ray, right? We talk about, like, sure, running back evaluations are important. But what's more important is the yards created for them by their offensive line. And we certainly yeah. do not think that Miami's offensive line is going to create many yards uh, for these Do backs. they have one above average starter on that offensive line? Yeah, I would like, say you could... Laramie Tunsil, but that's it. Like, but but is he even is he even above average? Like it's a I think it's a fair question. It's a very like, fair question. I mean, he's a starter. Don't get me wrong. He is an NFL starter through and through. But is he is he more than an average starter? I don't know. That line is is bad, and it doesn't get the same like I guess because the team's not as good. It doesn't get the same kind of ink that maybe the Texans line does, for instance. Yeah. But it's it's not a good situation there. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late, to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train. If the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you can feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't. Ever. Trains are often going a lot faster than you expect them to be, and they can't stop. Even if the engineer hits the brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop. By that time, what used to be your car is just a crushed hunk of metal, and what used to be you, well, we better not think about that. The point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop, even if it sees you, and the result is disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way, and you just need to remember one thing. Stop, because trains can't. This message has been brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Let's move over to wide receiver. Start with James Washington with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Six starts last season, which surprised me. He was the 60th overall selection. Right, we know the big story, right? Antonio Brown is out of the Steeler wide receiver group. Um, for the 2018 season, his rookie year, James Washington had 38 targets, 16 catches, 217 yards, and one touchdown. They've added Dante Moncrief. We know they drafted Deontay Johnson a lot earlier than people expected them to be. But I guess if we had to project a starting lineup right now for the Steelers, and sure, it's not for a few months, it's Dante Moncrief and James Washington on the outside, and Juju Smith-Schuster in the slot. And in an offense that throws the football a lot, especially down the field, wouldn't that maybe line up what James Washington's perceived strengths are? Yeah, I think that if you're looking for positives for Washington, you would say the depth chart, depth chart situation is great because we don't know what Deontay Johnson's going to be. 
Uh, Dante Moncrief, uh, I mean, pour some out. Well, and, and Ray, I will always say this, and I know he has production, but he is wide receiver Kristen Michael. Yeah, I, I agree. I, well, Kristen Michael had production as well when he was given yep. when he was given the carries in Seattle and Green Bay. Do you remember that brief? Do you remember that brief Green Bay stint for yes. Kristen Michael? Oh, yes. What a t- what a time to be alive. So if you're looking for positives, that's a positive depth chart. He also finished kind of strong last year. He mm-hmm. had two 60-yard games over his final three. I mean, you do have to say there was a goose egg sandwich in between those 60-yard games, so that's not good. And last year, he was just never going to get a lot of targets with Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster atop the depth chart. It just never was going to happen. But if you go back and kind of look at his season beyond that, the concerning thing is not that he wasn't getting targets with those guys. The concerning thing is that he he was a healthy scratch at some point. He was losing playing time to Justin Hunter. That is that is something which happened. So if you are if you're trying to get excited about Washington, I get it. But then you also have to admit that he was bad last year. He he just was. Now, does that mean he's going to continue to be bad? Definitely not. We have seen players take take steps forward i think that if you're going to trust a team's wide receiver evaluation the steelers would be the team that you would trust because i mean you just go through the list mike wallace antonio brown juju smith schuster even i know they drafted him earlier but you go through their list and and it's really been good so maybe washington's going to take that next step the the lane is certainly there for him to be good and his draft cost is actually the last time I looked, not so bad. He's really going around the same time that Moncrief's going. And if I was going to bet on one of these guys, it, it probably would be on Washington. So I, I think that all of that's fair. But I think we also need to need to recognize that it wasn't good last year. And he's going to need to improve to really take advantage of this situation. Ray, why do I see, obviously, chicken eggs, duck eggs, quail eggs on menus? Why do I never see goose eggs on menus? <laughs> goose eggs. It's a fair question. Do I assume geese lay eggs? They're birds, oh, yeah, no. I mean, I'm Googling it right now. I have that power and ability. <laughs> free hands, free time to do are, that. How, how big are, are goose eggs? So you've seen probably uh, ostrich egg YouTube videos, have, yes. right? And they're just like these massive things that, you know, they just... Uh-huh. Goose eggs are probably twice the size of duck eggs. So probably what Ooh, like three times the size of chicken eggs, but like so I, you could make you could make a three egg omelet with a goose egg. Just two of them, six eggs, boom, done. I, I do wonder, like Ray, we don't we don't hear yeah. about goose eggs outside of you know just being referred to as zeros. Just something to think about seen, as we move forward. I have seen an ostrich egg in real life. Interesting. Does that impress you? Uh, yeah, I've always wondered because you know when you separate the whites and yeah. the and the uh what is what am i even thinking yolk. of the yolk i cannot believe that escaped my mind <laughs> how difficult that would be with the ostrich egg right because you crack it and then you have to you know yeah anyways goose egg not You've been watching too if, much if anyone if anyone off. sees it out there or has seen it on a menu let me know yeah. send it to me on twitter that would be fun okay uh DJ, ostriches are the meanest i have to say ostriches are the meanest animals on the face of the planet. Did you? They are the worst animals. Did you ever have one of those? They're not petting zoos, but like they're those things that you can drive around in your car and you get like a, a, a bucket of feed. I, I worked at one. No way, Ray. So so the the commercial cavern I worked at when I was in college was connected to one of those wildlife ranches, and it and so we had to go and like 
and like in the off season clean up like cedar trees and things like that. Oh, and so that's why I know that ostriches are the meanest animals on the face of the planet. We we had the Lazy Five Ranch near me growing up, and we would go like at least once every two months in my mom's yeah. like old beat up white suburban. And it's just amazing <laughs> to me like that they don't really tell you. They're just like, hey, stay in the path yeah. and just drive slowly. But you like buy these big feeders and these ostriches come to your car and like they'll even lean in with their heads and just like peck, 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 yeah. peck. And it's awful. But you see zebras, you see all these different things. And I, it's just wild to me that that's absolutely a thing. Is it still a thing? Like, uh, yeah, no, that, that one that I worked, I, I suppose, near instead of at. Yeah. That one, that one's still running. Peacock, also high on uh-huh. that. If birds were larger, if birds were larger, they would they would kill us. That's that's my that's my working my working theory. Uh, DJ Shark Ray, <laughs> Jacksonville Jaguars Not was, a bird. was also the second overall or second round pick, I should say. He was the 61st overall pick, so one selection after James Washington. Uh, we know last year, uh, no matter who the Jaguars tried to throw the football to, they did not complete it, and that is including DJ Shark, 32 targets, 14 catches, 174 yards, zero touchdowns. Ray. Once again, let me repeat that. He had 40, or he had, excuse me, 14 receptions on 32 yeah. targets, including four drops. And not Chad a good Williams-esque. Not a good rookie season yeah. for the straight-line speedster, who I remember when Jacksonville drafted him, it was basically, hey, we drafted this guy to be a good special teamer and also just to clear out space so Leonard Fournette can run underneath. Guess what, Jacksonville? That offensive plan doesn't really work in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, and... It- you know what's funny about those numbers? I think that that had a lot more to do with the quarterback than it did with him. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I remember Chark making some plays. I don't think he was terrible last year, but it just it didn't mesh with the quarterback situation. We'll see if it meshes better with Foles. I mean, you you would say – you have to say with Foles. No matter what you think of Foles, the quarterback situation is better. But from an opportunity perspective with Chark, and, and we'll see if he takes a step forward with all these guys, we'll see. But the offensive situation is is still bad. I mean – they still want to run the football. We'll see if they're able to do it. And that receiver core, even though they don't really have that that number one, and people, I, I think people even mocked them receivers. But if you go and look at that receiver core, it's still very deep. Marquise Lee is going to be back. They still have D.D. Westbrook. They still have Chark. We'll see if Keelan Cole can get himself off Ooh, yeah. the milk carton and show up. Um, so they have, like, they still have a lot of guys there. And so you have to ask yourself with Chark, even if you think he's good and you think that last year was was all about the quarterback situation. And I think I fall more into that camp than, than the latter. I think that he's a, he's a fine player, especially with what they're going to ask him to do. Even if you think all of that, you have, to, you have to ask the question, okay, what does that mean from a fantasy perspective? If Marquise Lee is getting targets and if D.D. Westbrook's getting targets and if Keelan Cole's getting targets and they want to be a run-heavy team, and I just I, I struggle in that offense to see Chark as a viable weekly starter in, in just regular standard redraft leagues. Let's move on to last year's Mr. Irrelevant. Uh, that was Washington's Trey Quinn. Well, excuse me, Washington Redskin Trey Quinn slot receiver. Um, Ray, for how much Jay Gruden has talked up Trey Quinn this offseason, I was amazed at how little he did in the 2018 season. Ten targets, nine catches, 75 yards, and one touchdown. Think about that when I read this quote to you from Jay Gruden. He's ready to watch him jump into the slot role and dominate. Okay, we know that the slot role is open because Jamison Crowder is gone from Washington. What does dominate and Trey Quinn mean to you, Ray? Yeah, I I think it's a fair question. 
if you were going to take a bet on who's winning the slot job, it would be Trey, new Trey Gruden. We, we lost, <laughs> we lost Ryan Gruden. Yes. So now we're back. With, so now we're back with Trey Gruden, <laughs> and so that would that would be the guy who's going to win. They don't really have any other options, so I assume that it's it's going to be him. And you would also say, I mean, Gruden loves slot receivers. Like he loves slot receivers more than I love anything in this world. And you wow. would think that Dwayne Haskins is going to his kind of style of play and what we think of Dwayne Haskins would suggest that he's going to like to target slot receivers as well in this offense. So I think that all of that kind of works out for for Quinn. But the question you have to ask yourself, the question you asked was, what does that mean for fantasy? Well, I think you have to ask, how. what's the upside for this guy? What's the Mm -hmm. upside for these type of players? And you go back and you go through Jamison Crowder's kind of last three years with with Washington, and he had that one year where he had seven touchdowns, and that that really helped out. But you look at his numbers other than that, and he averaged four catches and 50 yards per game over his final three seasons in Washington. I mean— Okay, I mean, yeah. I really, I just, I don't care about that from a fantasy perspective. So, if you're getting excited about Quinn winning the slot job, and, and maybe in PPR leagues especially, he gets enough volume based on the quarterback we think Haskins is. The fact that, I mean, they really don't have anything else at receiver. We'll see what happens with Paul Richardson's pour some out for Josh Doxson. But so you look at all of that, and you think, well, maybe there's something here, but. What's the upside? I think that is that is really the big question here with Quinn. And I think we can safely say, not to be too negative here, but like Trey Quinn's not as good as Jamison Crowder, you know? And like a few years ago, we heard that Jamison Crowder was basically going to be the focal point of that passing game. Yeah. And like you mentioned, like nothing was really built from that at all. Like you can't build a passing offense around the slot receiver role. Like no matter how good a player is. Unless you're New England, I guess. Sure. Um <laughs> But what's interesting, Ray, is even if, even with Alex Smith's gruesome injury and how horrific it was and how much they had invested in him, there are worse quarterback situations in the NFL compared to Washington, right? And so it's not like he's in the worst situation here. Um, so, yeah, like a late round, especially in best ball, sure, that works out for me. That works out for me. Uh, let's See, it's the- funny. In, in best ball, I don't actually think I'm that interested in him. Yeah. And I, because best ball is really interesting. Variance. You want variance? You're saying I, what I want in best ball is upside. I want okay. weekly upside. I want big scores because I think that what we find in best ball is it's much like DFS is if you have that average score week to week, you're going to finish fifth and, and it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So what you want is you want those blow up weeks. It's why there's a great article by Anthony Amico that I would recommend people go read. That was about stacking in, in best ball leagues, which I really am a proponent of. For sure. Because it just increases, like you said, increases that variance. But more important than that, it increases that weekly ceiling, which yep. what you're looking for are those 210-point weeks that that kind of move you to the top. So for him, not as much there, but like as the wide receiver five in a deep PPR league, yeah, yeah, sure, and, and see and see what happens, you know. Uh, let's close the wide receiver group out here with Kiki Cutie of the Houston Texans. Uh, he was drafted to really build up this interior passing game along with 39-year-old tight end Jordan Akins with the Houston Texans. Um, I'll leave that one to (laughs) simmer. Okay, 41 targets, 28 catches, 287 yards, and one touchdown for Kiki Cutie, who dealt with a boatload of injuries last year. Uh, The latest quote we have from Kiki Cutie says, this offseason, I'm not training for the 40, I'm training for football. So hopefully, Ray, this leads to a full healthy season for Kiki Cutie and a passing offense that despite how bad that offensive line has been, has been quite good, especially when it's new Hawkins and Will Fuller out there at the same time. 
yeah, I mean, it's a story of health for both he and Will Fuller. Yep. And I think that if both of them stay healthy, even though this is a, a low attempt offense, it's a pretty run heavy offense. At least it has been under Bill O'Brien for, for most of the time that he's been there. If even with those low attempts, if you say that Will Fuller and Kiki Cutie are healthy, this could be one of the most explosive passing games in the league. I mean, we know what Will Fuller has done, even with Hopkins dominating targets. We know what Will Fuller has done with with Watson in there. We saw what QT can do, at least when he plays the Colts, play him in DFS whenever he plays the Colts. I think he had what he have 11 catches in both of his games against the Colts last mm-hmm. year. So there's there's some upside here for him. I, the problem with Cutie is are those injuries. I mean, you don't know how long he's going to be there. You don't know if the hamstrings are going to hold up. You don't know if Will Fuller there is there, how many targets he actually can get. I mean, they have drafted three tight ends in the last in the last two two years, so we'll have to see what happens with with that situation. So, I mean, there are certainly some concerns here, but I think that if you're talking about Cutie, you're more talking about what this passing game can be. You're more talking about what Deshaun Watson can be right. from a fantasy perspective. And I mean, we already know he can be very good. He's been the quarterback one and quarterback four in per game scoring each of the last two years. But I think the upside in this passing game, even if Watson only gets 510, 515 attempts is, is as high as really any in the league because of the explosiveness that they have with Hopkins, with Fuller and with Cutie, if all three of those guys can stay healthy. And some of the usage was, was really Positive, right? I mean, yeah. when Fuller and Hopkins were healthy, they were using QD in some manufactured touch ways. And we love manufactured touch players when it comes to uh, someone that can be explosive. I mean, I'm not saying that you only want someone that, you know, has to have their touches generated for them, but adding that into his repertoire along with, you know, an A dot of five or something that's close to the line of scrimmage, who also might offer some upside and some vertical ability. I- I'm-, I'm excited for his second season. You basically just described Paris Campbell. I did, and I did it in a positive way. What does that say about me from just a month ago, right? Let's let's do some time travel and and figure out an alternate okay. timeline that I can go down. I, Maybe that's happening here. I, what was Cutie? Cutie was what a fifth round pick? Is that what he, I can't even remember? Something like and, that. I think he was like a third round pick. Oh, was he a third round pick? Yeah. Was he that high? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't recall. I'll, I'll look. I'll but look yeah. it up right now. But Campbell, when he was getting first round buzz, I think that was really what the big, the big concern was about about Campbell. So maybe don't have to take it all the way back. Uh, Cutie was a fourth round pick, so we're close. Fourth round pick, we split, split the difference. There are three things every homeowner wants their home to be: smarter, safer, and more fun. What if I told you One Link by First Alert has you covered? First. Meet your family's new best friend, the OneLink Safe and Sound. A hardwired smart smoke and carbon monoxide alarm with a premium home speaker and Alexa-enabled all-in-one sleek device. Built with first alert safety technology and providing an immersive, great sound experience. The Safe and Sound elevates any home, but it gets better. OneLink by First Alert also offers the OneLink Smart Smoke and Carbon Monoxide Alarm that works with the OneLink Safe and Sound. The device is easy to install and protects against both smoke and carbon monoxide. If smoke or CO is detected in the home, the Smart Alarm will notify you via exclusive voice and location technology and send a notification to your smartphone, whether home or away. A smart home should start with smart protection and OneLink by First Alert welcomes you to a smarter, safer home. Visit onelink.firstalert.com for more information. Okay, let's close it out with the tight ends. I mean, Ray, I keep saying it, and we've been spoiled by some tight ends that have really broken out in their first seasons and early on in their careers, but 
these three names, and really two of them, were players that we were excited about during draft season and then when they were drafted, especially when they were drafted and thought that they could um, really have an impact in their first year. And for two of them, it just did not happen. Let's start with Baltimore Raven, Hayden Hurst. He was the 26th over, no, excuse me. He was not the 26th overall selection. He's gonna be 26th before the season starts. <laughs> it's funny, you know, that when those numbers almost line up. Uh, he was picked in the 20s though. And finished the season with 23 targets, 13 catches, 163 yards, and one touchdown. Ray, we know the Ravens have a ton of tight ends on the roster, and it's not like they're trying to get rid of them. They're trying to keep all of them. They gave Nick Boyle a pretty massive contract to play a blocking tight end role, and then fellow rookie last year, Mark Andrews, significantly outproduced Hayden Hurst, who dealt with a number of injuries, especially in the preseason that kept him out early in the year. But if we side with draft capital, and really, Lamar Jackson's passing style, Ray, does some optimism show up here for Hayden Hurst's second season? I, I think the optimism would have to be in in both Lamar Jackson and Greg Roman's history. I mean, mm-hmm. last year, Lamar Jackson targeted tight ends on 27.6% of his targets, which would have been a top five rate if it had been over the over the full season. You go through Greg Roman's history, I mean, it's just littered with high, high tight end targets. And and not even particularly great tight ends. Vernon Davis, when he was in San Francisco, yeah, that's somebody you target a lot, and they and they certainly did that. But in Buffalo, they were targeting Charles Clay. I think Charles Clay might have been the most targeted pass catcher one of Greg Roman's years in in Buffalo. So you you look at that history and you say that they're probably going to target tight ends a lot. The question you have is how much are they actually going to throw? Because again, if you go yes. back to Greg Roman's history, he hasn't thrown in, in his five full seasons as an offensive coordinator. He hasn't thrown more than I believe the number is 487 passes in a season. His offense hasn't. Um, they average around 455. It seems like he was promoted to offensive coordinator ahead of he wasn't the offensive coordinator last year. He was promoted ahead of Morningwig, right? I, I, off the top of my head there. So they did that because they want to run the ball a lot. And so the concern you have with the rookies this year with Miles Boykin and with Marquise Brown is what are what are how much are they going to throw? How much will Jackson throw to receivers? That's not a big a concern for Hurst, but just basic volume. How much How much can we expect in this passing game? And as you mentioned, there are a lot of tight ends. Mark Andrews is still there. Uh, they brought in Justice Hill. Are they going to get him involved in the passing game? So there's, there's a lot of concern here for just pure volume. But I don't think that you can take last season again and hold it against Hurst. Yeah. He was hurt in the preseason. He looked good he in the preseason. Hurt. Yeah, and he looked good before he was hurt. It looked like he was going to have a, a role with role. Joe yep. Flacco, who also loves tight ends, by the way. Something to keep in mind Keep in mind with Denver. But so there, you said, all right, he looked good. He got hurt. By the time he got back, he had lost a lot of time, and he was playing in a dysfunctional pass offense. So sure. I don't really think you could take what happened last year and, and say that that's, that means that Hurst is going to bust or not going to be good moving forward. But the concerns after he came back last year are still concerns moving forward until we see Lamar Jackson kind of progress as a passer. And, that, and that's the point. Like From week 10 on, when Lamar Jackson was really the starter, he averaged under 23 attempts per game and completed, <laughs> on average, 13 passes per game. So, look... We talk about Mark Andrews, who actually was productive his rookie year. Now you throw in Hayden Hurst, and we know that Lamar Jackson seems like he's most comfortable throwing between the numbers, right, in the middle of the field. Then you add on Marquise Brown. You add on Miles Boykin. You have Willie Sneed there. Then you have some pass catching from running back. Like, again, all of these players aren't going to see four targets a game, and that's wild. That's wild on paper. Um, 
So yeah, it, I mean, it was a little frustrating though, because Ray, you mentioned and it was with Joe Flacco and it was a bit of a different time, but Hayden Hurst looked like he was going to have a significant role in that offense. So we'll see yeah, if that I happens. Mean, it's, I, I made a point about Hurst. I had Hurst as my number one dynasty tight end last year. I don't think that's going to work out. Um, and so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm already taking the L on that. Got it. But one of the reasons that I had him that way is because if you look at the history of first round tight ends, they have a tight end one fantasy season. And most of them had like two in their career. Like without fail, if you had a tight end in the first round, it happened. It happened for Ebron last year. It finally happened for Ebron. So I, I never happened for uh, Pettigrew, but that's another Detroit situation. So like you, you take a look. Actually, it might have happened for Pettigrew. Sorry, I don't know why I got on that tangent. But the point is, is that it tends to happen for them. It's not a great situation right now for Hurst, but what I will say, and if you're trying, this goes to Miles Boykin, this goes to Marquise Brown. If Lamar Jackson does not progress as a passer, he's not mm. going to be around for mm. much longer than this, and they're going to have to look to another quarterback. And so we'll see, we'll see where this goes. Either Jackson gets better as a passer, or I think they, they end up finding another quarterback in the next two or three years. And not to be an ageist again, Ray, but he's going to be 26 before the season starts. You know, taking, Is he as old as Jordan Akins? That's the important question. I, I think they are the same exact age, probably born at the same hospital as well. That, that, that's what probably happened. <laughs> the one hospital that existed when they were born? Yes, yes. Okay, let's go to <laughs> uh, the Miami Dolphins. Mike Gesicki. Remember that name, Ray? You do because you follow Penn State football. Yes. But Mike Gesicki after the NFL Combine was all the rage. Why? Well, he's one of the three most athletic uh, tight ends we've ever seen during the draft process. Then he goes to Miami Dolphins, Ray, uh, 32 targets, 22 catches, 202 yards, zero touchdowns. Um, All we know from Mike Gesicki this offseason, Ray, is he's that he's up 13 pounds, same, uh, to 253 pounds, uh, and he played 400 snaps last year. 400 snaps is quite a bit, but again, those 400 snaps turned into... 32 targets for a player that's basically runs in a straight line and tries to catch jump balls. Well, did they even really use him that way? No, no, you're right. You're right. (laughs) Like you saw a lot of Mike Gesicki running across the formation, catching the ball, getting tackled without really adding any yardage and then going back to the huddle. Like that was a lot of what you saw from him last year. And like you said, I don't, I don't really think that's the way that he needs to be used. It's not really the way he was used at Penn State when he was successful. He's a guy that you want to get down the field. You want to get him down the field. You want to use his athleticism, especially his contested catch situation. And you, if you're going to sell yourself on Gusecki this year, you're going to sell yourself on the New England coaching staff, mm-hmm. the coaching staff coming from New England, hopefully knowing how to use him, hopefully getting him in the pattern more, putting him in better situations, and then you know some natural progressions and for, for just him as a player and you're hoping for the best. But as we talked about with Kalen Balaj, I mean, how, how excited are you going to get about anybody in this, in this offense? Like, really, what it, Josh Rosen, we saw what happened with Josh Rosen in Arizona, and I, this is not a comment on Josh Rosen's future. I think that them trading for Josh Rosen was a, just a great move. Yeah. I really like what their front office is doing. But we saw Josh Rosen behind a bad offensive line last year. That's the issue. And that did not go well. Yep. And so what, what are we really going to expect from this offense? If Ryan Fitzpatrick was, was starting and we got to see the Fitz magic, the three touchdowns, five interceptions every game, I would, I would be more in on this offense scoring points. But I, I'm just a little bit worried about what we're going to see moving forward. And we know that coming from New England, obviously the Patriots like to use two tight ends, and they brought in Dwayne Allen after he was cut from the Patriots. Yeah. Um, but we know that Dwayne Allen's role is as an H-back slash blocking tight end. Like, that's his thing. So maybe this opens up something for Mike Kosicki. And again, don't want to destroy these tight ends unless they are 26 years old. But... <laughs> 
we just know that they develop slowly. And maybe Mike Kosicki, I mean, if you are to typecast that type of tight end, he is one of those that might not work out until his second contract. And then he maybe he has that top 12 tight end season. Who knows? Let's let's tell the listeners why you really hate Hayden Hurst. You hate him because he pushed Max Williams. Your oh, look-alike and I was. About, I didn't know where you were going. I did not know where you were going. Sure, whatever. Let, fine. Let's talk about. Let's talk about the real. So now you can go support him with Cliff in Arizona. I mean, sure. it all worked out for Max. Sure. Let's close out with actually a positive tight end who was the real tight end one yep. uh, in 2018, and this Accurate. is Dallas Goddard. Um, even with Zach Ertz having an unbelievable season for the Eagles in 2018. Dallas Goddard managed 44 uh, 44 targets, 33 catches, 334 yards, and four four touchdowns. That might not sound like a lot, Ray, but I would say even more than his production was how he looked in those moments when given an opportunity. He's not going to have, I don't think, much more of an opportunity. Like those 44 targets might go to, what, 60 targets this season just projecting? But I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if the Eagles understand that maybe unlocking their offense with two tight end sets might be the right way to go in 2019. And I think if you look at the numbers, I, I'm pretty sure that the Eagles targeted their tight ends more than any other team in the league last year. And I think it was by a large percentage. So we've already, we've already seen that. And, and to your point, when Goddard got the targets, it was good. Like he he made use of of his of his opportunities, but the problem is, you mentioned sixty targets. I I don't even know if, if I there. would. I'd probably yeah. take the under on that. I mean, it's the the problems of last year for Goddard are still there. I mean, Zach Ertz is still there. Alshon Jeffrey is still there. Nelson Aguilar is still there. They now have Deshaun Jackson. Fair. They now have J.J. Arkego Whiteside. They now have Miles Sanders, who is more of, probably going to be more of a threat. And in the passing game, we'll see what happens to that running back situation. You liked it a lot better when it was Jordan Howard than when it's than when it's Miles Sanders, uh, at least from hoping that Goddard gets targets. So if something happens to Ertz, I'm going to be 100 percent in. Like, there's no oh, question yeah. about that. I think Goddard is going to pr- would produce tight end one, high end tight end one numbers if he was getting the target share of Zach Ertz or even less than that. I think he's that kind of that kind of a pass catcher. And you're right. Sh- should have been my tight end one last year. That was a major mistake. But the concerns are still there and he right. might be someone like another guy on this offense who I mentioned JJ or Whiteside who I like quite a bit and I'm pretty sure you like as well where you're holding him in hopes of what happens in two years instead of hoping for for what's going on now and that that's it's disappointing from a dynasty perspective but I still think you know from a talent wise if, if Ertz goes out yeah. or if something happens to some of those receivers then, then you could be in a good position. And the other part of that is exactly how the offense is going to look with Carson Wentz out there, possibly healthy versus what Nick Foles was, because we know Nick Foles had to step in. And from like week 11 to week 16, Ray, last year, um, I should say game 11 to game 16, it's like four targets, three targets, five targets, two, three, three. Like you're just not getting over that five target mark ever for Dallas yeah. Goddard, even if we think that he's a fantastic player. Um, Ray, did we leave anyone out in this conversation that you feel like we should bring up? I feel like these are a lot of good candidates that, again, we were excited about 365 days ago that didn't produce basically anything during their rookie year. But maybe there's some positivity that could still be there because of the situations like we talked about. No, I, I really don't have any other like 
I, I was trying to think of other ones we could add to the list, and I didn't find I didn't find a lot of them. I mean, when you're when you're including Kalen Balaj on a list, I think that you're <laughs> starting to get you're starting to get to the bottom of it. And so, yeah, I think that these are the names. If you're if you're looking at these sophomores and you're hoping for yeah. hoping for some progression, these are these are certainly the names. And I, I would imagine that from this list, from running back, we see a couple. From receiver, we see a couple that just come out and and they really surprise us based on what they have what happened as rookies and i think that buying these guys just from a dynasty perspective not maybe all of them but buying a ronald jones even though i I didn't particularly like him coming out but that value has gotten so low and the opportunity there is is it's certainly you know pretty good with the depth chart the way that it looks that buying some of these guys in dynasty for for a really discounted price makes a little bit of sense i mean i'm just so ready for john kelly to take over Todd Gurley's spot, Terrell Henderson's spot, and Malcolm Brown's spot. I think he has it in him, Ray. I really think oh, he it has tough. it in him. That John Kelly landing spot, it was... Brutal. It, and now we have now we have Darrell Henderson in the yep. same exact one. Yep. So, uh, uh, it's sad. And sad by the times. way, we had to kick Reeves off this podcast because all he wanted to talk about was Royce Freeman for an hour. <laughs> so, we just said no. You're not joining uh, us. So I guess Royce Freeman. Royce Freeman was on the board on. He was a guy I thought about, but I guess he did enough last year to show that, that he's super average. Yes, he he, he showed <laughs> that for sure. I mean, is he as good as Devontae Booker? That's the real question for this podcast. <laughs> on that note, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, certainly subscribe. If you're already subscribed, it does us a major favor to rate and review the podcast. Uh, I have my press conference series starting this week. That should be dropping probably tomorrow. Uh, so go and check that out. We start with the NFC West. So a lot of goodness with San Francisco, obviously with the receivers that they took. A lot of interesting tidbits from Arizona uh, with Andy Isabella and Akeem Butler and Keyshawn Johnson. Um, the yeah, Rams I... situation with Darrell Henderson and obviously the Seahawks adding DK Metcalf and Gary Jennings. It's a really fun skill position group to start off with in the press conference series. Uh, Ray, thanks so much, buddy. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Thanks for being on this episode. Oh, and by the way, we have another episode coming out later this week. It's going to be like a quick 15-minute episode with Pat just answering your questions. Uh, so get those to me, football, non-football, all that good stuff. So hit me up uh, on Instagram, even Josh J. Norris, or just on Twitter, at Josh Norris. Ray, thanks so much. Talk to you all soon. See ya. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.